It is. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I, no, it's not. As soon as I said it, I was like, oh, I, I'm not looking at the date. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Shark. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo. Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 29th, 1993. We are at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown Los Angeles, where we are honoring the best movies of 1992 at the 65th annual Academy Awards. Billy Crystal's back to host once again. It's been a fun field night, and it's time for the big award of the night. The envelope, please. And the Oscar for the best picture of 1992 goes to Clint Eastwood. Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of The Envelope, please. This is the podcast where we watch and discuss every best picture Oscar want... <laughs> Oscar winner in chronological order. And we're I mean, after you do 60 some odd episodes of this, <laughs> it's amazing that we can get sentences out. Um, <laughs> we're here. I'm Sam. Who are you? I, wait, uh, rants. <laughs> I've heard people comment that they don't really, um, apparently we, we sound similar. And, you people, know, I, I understand. I think it's just gay voice. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just the gay. <laughs> so gays can probably decipher, oh, that's the blonde, that's a brunette. And um, and the rest are all like, I can't, all I hear is homo. <laughs> <laughs> it is a separate language. You are quite correct, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you say we have yet another Western, but that is, there has not been a Western Best Picture winner since my cat just, if you heard a, a fluff, my cat rubbed against the microphone. Um, there has <laughs> there has not been a um, Western Best Picture winner since 1931, correct? No. What about Dances with Wolves, my friend? You Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. no, no, no. I forget. I forget that that wins best picture too. I think it's best that we all forget that movie wins best picture. <laughs> Our feelings about that winning best picture are unforgiven. Oh, I like what you did there. Okay, that was classy. Do you see what I? I took the title of the movie this week. <laughs> that was classy. That was very very classy. Um, I want to talk to you about something specific in this ceremony though, because we do have a very uh, I guess, memorable moment here in the Best Supporting Actress category. This is the winner, Marissa Tomei, for My Cousin Vinny, that is now a legend. The legend is that when Jack Palance read off her name as the winner, he didn't read the right name. Many people were convinced, and there are still people to this day who are convinced, that Marissa Tomei is not the rightful winner of this Oscar. What do you say to that, Rance? <laughs> well, I feel like that can be safely debunked based on the debacle of 2017. Correct. Um, <laughs> where, 
with La La Land and uh, and Moonlight, clearly, if you say the wrong name, somebody is going to notice backstage, and they aren't. They don't care how embarrassing it is. They're just going to fix it. Um, <laughs> right. Poor stagehand. Somebody. Somebody's job is that. And yikes. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's somebody's job. I um. Uh, yeah, so I think that's probably, I think that's, I think that's BS. Oh, yeah, it is Oscar lore, completely through and through, especially since I fucking love Marissa Tomei in My Cousin Vinny. This is, this is such a wonderful win. Imagine you're a deer. You're prancing along, you get thirsty, you spot a little brook, you put your little deer lips down to the cool, clear water. Bam! A fucking bullet rips off part of your head. Your brains are laying on the ground in little bloody pieces. Now I ask you, would you give a fuck what kind of pants a son of a bitch who shot you was wearing? I love it so much. I think she's flawless. She's one of the... She's not the youngest. She's She is a younger winner, correct? She's definitely younger, yes. yes. Yeah. You know, our youngest ones would be the children who have won this Oscar. <laughs> yes, yes, obviously. I, I was Obvious. just saying she's one of the younger... She's she's like one of the bottom five or something. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. she was very young when she won this award. Yeah, she was 70, 80. in her twenties. She was actually twenty eight. She was twenty eight. So, what I just said is bullshit. She was not one of the. <laughs> she's like in the middle. She's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> in my head, she was like nineteen, and no, no, that's just that's just me thinking she's younger than she is. She does um, look young. She does. She does. Uh, I need her moisturizer. Oh, um, please. Yeah, no, we're not taking this from her. Um, we. There are other times where taking a wastedness might happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was that your, one of your transition into our snubs, should we? <laughs> um, yes. Uh, uh, uh. Yes. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> what um, do you have? I have quite a few snubs actually this year. <laughs> I have opinions. Well, <laughs> um I I I'll say things and then you can go off on your on your little tangent. Please um, do. But I will tell you I was I was debating about how I was going to spotlight and how I was going to snub and I actually in the course of this conversation switched how I was going to place the two movies I'm going to talk about. Um so uh, I'm going to spotlight, excuse me, I'm going to snub Convo one movie. And then there's another movie that I think should have gotten more nominations, but it is nominated that I'm going to put in my spotlights. So that's a, a teaser. I think it is a crying shame, even though there is no crying in baseball <laughs> that a league of their own was shut out <laughs> of the 1992 Academy Awards completely and not only do i think it is a better movie than the best picture winner which <laughs> admittedly is a good movie <laughs> mm. i think it is um penny marshall's best film Okay, including her Best Picture nominee, Awakings, including Big, which is incredible. 
I think it is my favorite Gina Davis movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think it has one of the most fun supporting cast of any movie ever, including Rosie O'Donnell, Madonna, probably the best cast Madonna has ever been. Like, she kills it in this movie, and she's hilarious. Um, We have... uh, I want to get her her name right. Um, She's been in... She's been, like, a character actress who's been in a bunch of, bunch of things. Um, Megan Cavanaugh, um, who plays Marla Hooch mm. in the movie. Um, she is just a delight. Um, but this is one of those examples of this being... This is a, a female story, and it is directed by a woman. And there is a sensitivity to this film that I do not think would exist had a man directed it and it has aged extremely well better than other movies that deal with some of that male female dynamic i think because a woman directed it and so none of the anachronistic things that a man would have put in the movie are there you know um so in retrospect it is shocking that this doesn't get one nomination that this doesn't get uh some type of supporting nod for one of the really delightful supporting performances a screenplay nomination seems the most likely thing for it you know um because it is a a very good screenplay um you don't see uh of course a director nomination for penny marshall once again female directors being totally overlooked um and honestly huge hit movie made a lot of money at the box office I think it's a legitimate argument for Best Picture as well. But if you haven't watched A League of Their Own in a while, or you only know it for its famous quote, There's no crying in baseball! I am not a sports person. (laughs) I haven't been. I've lived in L.A. for 11 years. I haven't been. What's a a sports? Sport. (laughs) I don't think I've been to, um, outside of being in a bowling league, I have not <laughs> been to a single professional sports game in Los Angeles, <laughs> even though we have, I believe, they call them the Dodgers. Oh, here. yes. Um, and those are... <laughs> um, haven't been to any of that. Haven't. Don't feel like I'm missing anything. Um, you know, I, I did play basketball in high school, but that's a different... Um, <laughs> We won't bring up that trauma. <laughs> I'll teach you how to shoot a three-pointer later. But oh, um, <laughs> yeah. But um, my whole point of all of this is that as a person who does not care about sports, this movie completely, completely drew me in. And I found myself um, rooting for those, uh, those peaches um, like nobody's business. That is the I, – I, I'm making sure I'm getting the team names right now. There the were the – Yes, there are the uh, 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 the Rockford Peaches, um, and then um, the Racine Bells, which I, is the team that the sister trades to mm. later. They also do, can we just talk for a second? Mm. I thought for the first couple times I watched this movie that when they show them older... That was just the actresses in age makeup. It is not. Those are right. different actresses, and that casting is so good. 
Very good. I mean, how many years have we... We actually haven't covered this topic, but there needs to be a casting Oscar as well. That is a very good point here, because the people who found women who looked like Gina Davis, who looked like Lori Petty, who plays her little sister, who looked like Rosie O'Donnell, I mean, like, just, uh, you would think they just have agent makeup on, Mm -hmm. especially the woman playing Gina Davis and Lori Petty, because they they nailed those two actresses. Um, Just... uh, Truly, I think one of the one of the best sports movies of all time, and honestly, I think one of the most underrated movies of the 1990s, and something that is criminal, like something. It's just shocking. There's there's nothing. There's not one. No- Madonna wrote an original song. It's not even nominated. I mean, like right. what? <laughs> like what? No, I agree with you. I think you're right. The screenplay seems like the most obvious category for it to easily slide into mm-hmm. um yeah i agree with you i think it is a little silly that the movie isn't nominated for anything i think you're right literally nothing of course um story by uh story was by two women um the screenplay was written by two men the story was by was by two women so i don't know i i i have a feeling that you know, it was probably I, just looked over because just, it was seen as like a comedy, you know, or like a family. Seen as a comedy. It was seen as a woman's movie. It's not yeah. serious. <clears throat> and, you know, that's just, uh, I, I think that y- A Few Good Men's a really good movie. You can't handle the truth! Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to use it as an example. It's a, it's a movie movie. You know, it's a it's a movie that that anybody's gonna watch because mm-hmm. it's not just hoity-toity Oscar-y movie. It's like it has other things going for it. But if that type of serious movie is considered a popcorn flick, as well, I think that this popcorn fit flick should also be considered a serious movie. Hey, I agree with you. I agree. Okay, let's get to your okay. snaps. Here's, here, I'm going to run through a couple of my more softer snubs, just ones that I personally like. I would have liked to have seen Joe Pesci break into the Best Actor race for My Cousin Vinny. I think he's really funny and really, really good in the picture. I think that The Last of the Mohicans deserved more nominations, particularly for its score. Uh, the score by Trevor Jones and Randy Edelman, I think, is so iconic now. Not to mention Dan Day-Lewis is phenomenal in the movie. Uh, and then two movies that I um, really wish were in the Best Picture category. The first one is A River Runs Through It, which did get nominated and win some Oscars here. Uh, but that movie is so good. I would have loved to have seen it in the Best Picture race. And even seen Brad Pitt slide into Supporting Actor. We have a phenomenal early performance by Brad Pitt in this movie. And he knocks it out of the part as the more troubled son of the family. And then the other movie. <laughs> Rants. Where? Where? Where is the bodyguard? Where is the bodyguard? I understand <laughs> it got nominated for songs. Not enough. I'm sorry. Not enough. The bodyguard slaps. It still slaps. I love this movie so much. Where's Whitney Houston's nomination? Where's Kevin Costner's nomination? <laughs> Where? It's Whitney's. Where is it's, it? 
I mean, Whitney didn't make that many movies, but this is her first. I think so. Right? And she's good in it. She I don't is. know. I think, I mean, it's it's very melodramatic. It's very all of that. But I don't I know. Think it's I think it's probably they're my favorite Costner. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's really good. I think it deserved more attention. I think I think it could have easily slid into some of these other categories. I don't know. I really like The Bodyguard, and I want to see it represented. Um, the only other one I have, which is just, I think, a ridiculously egregious um, snub, is in the Best Picture Director race for Spike Lee and Malcolm X. I don't understand why mm-hmm. that was looked over. Yep. But it was in favor for some other movies in the Best Picture slot, which we'll get to a little bit later. That I absolutely hate, but we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's it's really uh, a crying sham, um, mm. not a crying game, but oh, a crying no. shame. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that our, our patron saint Dolly of the Parton could not be nominated for best original song. Um, <laughs> because they just took but you know fun i have a very fun story about how they discovered i will always love you for the body for the bodyguard Mm. and i haven't read this in a while so i'll probably get some of the facts wrong but um (laughs) you can go look it up yourself and fact check me but um they were looking for you know a big powerful emotional ballad uh to put in to the movie and um and so one day um one of the producers i think was like flipping through a record store and they came across a linda ronstadt album uh called prisoner in disguise and uh they got it and they listened to it and she covers i will always love you on the album okay this was like one of the first covers of i will always love you after dolly first recorded it in the early 70s they were not aware of dolly parton's hit version which mind you by this point had not only been a hit country song in the 70s but was a hit again when she re-recorded it for the movie the best little whorehouse in texas right where it is yes, used in yes, her yes. final confrontation with burt reynolds and um they listened to it they loved it and they were all set to record it, and they went to Dolly for the approval. She found out that they that she had listened to Dolly, to Linda Ronstadt's version, and Linda Ronstadt doesn't use the spoken word part of the song, which is the third verse, where I hope life treats you kind, um, and that you get all you dream of. That part of the song, um, she just has an instrumental during that section in her version. So Dolly was like, "Oh, make sure." you use this <laughs> and they didn't know that part existed and so that got shipped over and then we got probably the most iconic cover of a song oh my god yeah um <laughs> I've, and... i guarantee you there are still people alive who do not realize that that is not a whitney houston song <laughs> i think there are plenty of people who are still flabbergasted when they find out it's been covered to death you know and the There's original a lot dolly of... There's a lot of reaction videos of people listening to Dolly's version of the song for the first time on YouTube, by the way. Oh, and then they're fun. like, and as they're listening, they're like, wait, what? What? I've heard this. Wait, this is from. I, what? <laughs> What's that, it's always, on? it's always funny. And they're very, they're, I will say her version is also very, 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 very good. But um, they're very different interpretations. And it kind of, I like that song because it shows you how you can take lyrics and put them in two different directions 
You Very know, true. and it can be soft and sweet, or it can be this bombastic um, showstopper power ballad. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, anyway, that's um, how th- that song ended up in the Bodyguard, um, and which deserved more nominations. <laughs> and a lot of, I'm sure there were people who had no idea who were saying, "Where's the original song nomination?" <laughs> <laughs> Not original. Does it? Not qualify. original. Uh, okay, so you've teased us already, so let's talk about your spotlight, Rance. What is the movie you want to talk about today? Lay it on me. Well, real quickly, I, I will say the reason why I said this was almost a snub, um, I, I will explain. But um, I would like to spotlight one of my favorite Robert Altman movies, The Player. Hell yeah. Um, which... It, it, I almost put into snubs because it isn't nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And, crucially, it's not nominated for Best Cinematography. And it has one of the great opening scenes of all time. It's a take that lasts, like, eight, nine, ten minutes as it goes through a studio and you meet all these characters and there's some cameos from some real-life famous people, like Lily Tomlin, in that part of the movie. And... um Robert Altman, as we have talked about in the past with movies like Nashville, um, is just the king of, um, uh, he, um, I'm trying to, uh, he, he's in the same vein, I think, of Woody Allen, where you just, like, go into a scene and you sit in it and you let people converse as they are. It's probably like an American extension of an Ingmar Bourbon movie, in a way. Sure. Um, and... I I think that the player might be his most accessible to a mainstream audience. It's a weird story. Um, just, I'm going to read the synopsis off of Wikipedia, so crediting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a film studio executive who kills an aspiring screenwriter he believes is sending him death threats. So that's like a, a bonkers a premise on the onset and it's uh, Tim Robbins by the way is the star of the movie kind of one of our first appearances of Mr. Robbins here that's true um yeah. who I 1994 um yeah. <laughs> uh uh Goldberg is also in the movie uh playing a detective which this is I can we just like sit in the fact I love Whoopi I watch the view <laughs> every single day um, <laughs> good for you. But this is right in that sweet spot where Whoopi Goldberg um, was a mega movie star, and I just love that we lived in a world where she was a a movie star. Anyway, um, and I wish she would do more movies. Yeah, me she's, too. She's me too. great on the View. Um, I wish she would host the Oscars again. Good God, fabulous! I think she could. I think she could still do it personally. But yes. Um. Anyway, the the movie is just a, a, a film that's a love letter to those who love Hollywood. There's tons and tons of self-referential things um, that true movie fans will, will appreciate. Um, I mentioned there are a bunch, I mean like dozens and dozens of cameos from uh, real-life celebrities, and you'll constantly be going like, oh, there's Bruce Willis, there's Julia Roberts. Um, and so you're saying this is like a modern-day... The greatest show on earth. <laughs> Except a good movie. <laughs> right. Um, and I did just I did just see, um, it took 15 takes, but the opening sequence is 7 minutes and 47 seconds without a cut. Wow. And they oh, go wow. through 
a movie studio. It's just it's just brilliant. Um, and I uh, uh, I like that it gets nominated in director. I like that it is it's in screenplay. I like that it's represented. I personally would have liked to see it in uh, cinematography um, as well. And also, um, I'm a little shocked to see... Okay, uh, uh, I, I'm a little... I would have liked to have seen um, Tim Robbins uh, nominated as well. But yeah. it does get a, a very deserved film editing nomination, so I appreciate that. Um, and definitely one of Robert Altman's better efforts um yeah so that is my oh but yes (laughs) yes i just i mentioning Whoopi goldberg made me realize what something that came out this year that i hadn't thought about what was it sister act sister act it did come out this year yes it did i saw that when i was compiling my snubs list and it didn't make my list i don't I do think, love I don't, sister act i do i i was just thinking i don't know where um i mean it's one of Whoopi's better performances i don't it doesn't feel like a best actress performance but um uh the score is great but it's a lot of they're using a lot of music that already existed um right. maybe screenplay i don't know maybe uh, a supporting nom for for maggie, maggie smith I yeah. thought about that. That was when I was considering maybe giving Maggie a supporting nod, but it also doesn't feel like that no. doesn't feel quite right either. No. Well, I think there's a lot of really fun movies that maybe don't quite fit at the Oscars that came out this year because there's also um, a movie I'm sure both of us love, uh, and it's a gay classic, Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes Her. I know. Again, and also didn't make my very, count. very deserved award for visual effects. Yes. Honestly, watch that movie. That is one of the earliest computer-generated effect movies, uh, predating Jurassic Park, and it it holds up really well. It's it looks really, really good. good. It's it really looks good. really good. Um, and the humor is... I think the humor may have been a little too dark for 1992, but it, it works really well today. Um, and it it was a commentary on aging... In Hollywood, before I think that was a common conversation. Oh, absolutely! And, um, it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting film. I like it getting visual effects again. I don't know if it fits anywhere else um, because it's not great, but it is really fun. Um, you know, uh, and Meryl and Goldie are just like the what greatest. A pair. I mean, what a pair! But. As far as talking about them, there's other Meryl performances I'm I feel much stronger about coming up, Absolutely. and there's also a movie with Goldie Hawn in a few years that I cannot wait to talk about that I think mm. should have been represented. So I I'm just mentioning Sister Act and Death Becomes Her not as spotlights, not as snubs, just to say that 1992 <laughs> did give us a lot of movies we've probably seen a bunch of times. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. I am going to spotlight one of our screenplay winners, Best Picture nominees. You mentioned it before. It is The Crying Game. I want to talk Ah, about this movie. Go for it. This is such a peculiar little movie. Um, This movie is really fun to watch because it's one of those films where 
where this movie starts and where this movie ends are two completely different movies. How they get there, that's the fun of it. Um, I'm going to try and give you a summary, I guess. Uh, so this takes place in Ireland where they're at war to get rid of like British rule in Northern Ireland. So they've captured an Irishman and they're holding him hostage. And then once the um, the people who've captured him, who is a, it's a very young Forrest Whitaker, by the way, he is um, killed. And before he dies, he tells the Irishman, who's played by Stephen Ray, a Best Actor nominee, he tells him to go and look in on his, I think she's his fiance, maybe just his girlfriend, um, back in England to check in on her. So he does, and he kind of falls in love with her. And then there's a reveal that I, well, I have to talk about it. I have to talk about it. She is trans. And this is one of our really mm-hmm. early depictions of a trans character in not just a movie, but a, an Academy Award-winning film, uh, played by Jay Davidson, who is a man. Um, and I want to talk about that because what is interesting is when The Crying Game was released across the season Europe, it flopped. It absolutely tanked. No one wanted to watch it. No one was interested in it. And they got very nervous because they were like, we're not going to make our money back. When they released it in the States, however... They marketed it very differently. They actually pushed this reveal that this character, Jay Davidson, has, like, you literally see his penis in this movie. They they marketed this as, like, a, almost like a psycho thing where it's like, don't reveal the secret. Come in and watch the movie, but don't tell anyone what happens. There's a huge reveal. And I think that really played to American audiences' just desires for that kind of a thing, right? So it blew up in the States, and then it got a re-release in Europe where it blew up again, and now it's become this kind of, you know, very important piece. But I think that's interesting because, you know, we talk about, we've been talking about, uh, I guess, representation in movies these last couple of years, and here we have them using this trans character for marketing purposes, right? It's kind of like, Mm -hmm. it's almost like it's being sold as sort of a freak show, right? Come in and check out this really crazy, strange person, almost to, like, gawk at it. You know what I mean? Doesn't sit very well with me um, at all. But what I think we have here at the core is a well-meaning film, and it is sort of packaged as a thriller. But at the end of the day, it's a love story. He falls in love with her, doesn't care that she's trans, and then tries to hold on to that love while there's all the assassins going on in the background um, but yeah, and I love this too. What's crazy about this too is Jay Davidson, who plays the trans character in the movie, he only made one more film. He absolutely hated the spotlight that he got um, from this Oscar nomination and the celebrity of it all. He hated it. So he left Hollywood and just did some like modeling gigs afterward. Um, but I just find that fascinating, you know? And it's one of the things that they said is like, this movie would not have worked without Jay Davidson because we, the audience, have to be convinced that we are looking at a woman on the screen. So when the reveal comes that she has a penis, it needed to be shocking. And I do think Jay Davidson does a very good job of portraying that kind of a character. Um, but again, it doesn't come from an actual trans actress. Here we have a man who identifies as male playing this character only because he does have that androgynous look about him. Uh, so I find that kind of fascinating that here we have a very early portrayal of a trans woman in a film. 
um, and coming from a movie that was, you know, created across the seas. And Oscar embraced it. They gave him an Oscar nomination. Um, so yeah, I kind of love that. It's kind of it's kind of fun. What did you think when you saw the movie? You've seen the movie, right? Yeah. Um, Were you? Shocked I mean, I knew. By the I knew before I saw it. What, oh, you knew. Um, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a shock. Um, I, I think it's one of those twists that's pretty well known. Yeah, this for sure. It many is now. years rem- removed. Um, I think it's really interesting that this movie um, came out uh, after the hullabaloo over Silence of the Lambs last the year before this. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's an interesting dichotomy that we got a movie with better trans representation the year after yet as you pointed out the marketing the conversation around it was still problematic yeah you know? like the only reason um, i feel like there was there was probably a lot of people who only went to see this movie to see his to penis gawk. you know what i mean and that's that's yeah that part doesn't really kind of sit well with me because there's so much more to this movie than just that moment you know there's yes. so much more and i i think as time goes on, it's it's much easier to look at it in that context because we are yeah. not as shocked by that type of thing now as we were then. But, um, you know, and I, I hope that cultural attitudes are are changing as the years go on. But it is, um, it is part of, you know, uh, there's that great 1995 documentary, The Celluloid Closet. Yes. You know, that... Yep that marks movies like this the, the movies where uh, whether it's because of the conversation around it or the content itself you have that push pull whether mm. you're talking about midnight cowboy like we did decades ago yeah. um or the crying game and how it, these are all markers in the evolution of lgbtq people on film if you have not seen uh the documentary the celluloid closet uh, ever listeners go do that Check immediately it out. It's, it is really, really good. It's like 25 years old, but it's still probably I th- maybe the best um, overall uh, explanation of, of queer in cinema. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's really, really wonderful. Yeah, I would recommend this movie. It's really kind of interesting to watch now. It's kind of, like, as you said, like a time capsule of the time. I think if it were made today, I really think they would hire a trans actress. I really think they would. And I think that yes. would add an even better level of authenticity to the film that I think is lacking in Davidson's performance. Even though he's fine, he's very good, but I think it is missing that extra quality of authenticity to it. But a great movie. You're right. Check it out. And our screenplay winner, and also I love that this was kind of a a movie that Neil Jordan, who wrote and directed it, he had been shopping this around for years and years and years and years. So even as they were making the movie, they, they talk about how it was kind of a, I don't know, kind of a terrible set to be on because they were constantly every day just looking for more money so they could keep filming the next day. That's just a stressful set. So the fact that this movie got made even to begin with is a miracle. You know? So I kind of love those those kinds of stories where they really had to fight against the odds. The odds were very against them, but it got made and it was a huge success. So that's kind of amazing. 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 One of our Best Picture nominees. It did not win, though, because our winner is Unforgiven, our second Western to win Best Picture in three years. Wild. Three years. Sorry, I was mixing up my years there for a second. Um, Unless you consider Wild Bill um, 
What was his name? What's his name in the movie? Oh, Buffalo you're Bill. Talk, um, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Is a Western inspired of the name. Lambs. <laughs> it's kind of a That's Western I thought you were talking about English Bob. I was like, hold on, where are we getting into here? Okay, let's um, talk about Unforgiven. This is a Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, directed by, starring by. Uh, it is about an old um, starring by that didn't work, did it? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you were looking for produced by. There we go. Also um, him. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's an old gunslinger, retired assassin, essentially, who decides to come out of retirement to avenge the brutal... Um, I guess uh, rape, mm-hmm. essentially uh, rape and abuse of a prostitute in this very small town in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of a meditation on violence and what drives people to it, what what keeps people from it. I feel like, for me personally, Rance, this whole movie builds to the moment where Clint Eastwood's character. Um, finally starts to drink again, right? Yes. Because he's kind of that one of that, uh, he's sort of like a Shane character, I think, where he sort of had all this uh, mythology around his character, where a lot of people are talking about stuff he used to do and how he used to act and all these people he used to kill, and he's not like that anymore. You know, it kind of has this mysticism about his character. And you don't see that come alive until he finally goes back to the bottle and drinks again, and we see that that part of his character come back out and it's released in those final moments of the movie. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of the film? Uh, well, I've seen it before. Um, yeah. I, uh, um, I, 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 I always say like, I don't really like Westerns and then I like happen upon a Western that's actually pretty good. And I'm like, oh, I don't, um, you know, uh, but I think this is a really interesting and powerful film. I think it's really interesting to me that Clint Eastwood, who is known as one of the most right-wing people mm-hmm. in Hollywood. If you guys don't remember, he spoke to a chair at the 2012 <laughs> Republican convention, and the em- chair was Obama. Embarrassing. Um, it was not a good, it was not a good moment. Um, and he has had some problematic statements in the last few years that I think we've, as a society largely forgiven because of the amount of gravitas he has. There's also been some movies he has made in recent years that have, I think been more problematic than his previous work. Um, Are you talking about Gran Torino? Yikes. (laughs) Oh, I was, yes, but I was actually, um, I was thinking about, uh, what's that last? Oh, the mule. Oh yeah. I didn't even watch that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, this, the reason I, I, I give this precursor is that looking at him in the early 90s, there seems to be kind of an advocacy in this film for an anti-gun, anti-violence stance, which is definitely so weird considering the source. And may, he didn't write it, so that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But... But wouldn't you say, walking away from this movie, this movie is telling you that gun violence is pointless? 
Yes, and I think that's what we should really talk about here. What I mentioned earlier, this is kind of a meditation on violence. We definitely see the main characters here, right? We have um, English Bob. We have, was it Little Bill? That's Gene Hackman. Mm-hmm. They call him Little Bill, right? Yeah. It's Bill, right? Yeah. Yes. Little Bill. Little Bill. Um, uh, money. What's oh, what's his first name? Clint Eastwood's character. Something Money. Will. Will. William Money, yes. And then the, well, Morgan Freeman and the yeah. the young guy that they Logan. they do the revenge with, right? They all kind of have different relationships with killing and violence, right? And I think it's this job, uh, this ransom job, um, that... Did you say sh- rants job? Ooh. <laughs> ransom? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Uh, that kind of like makes them make that choice. Are they going to be? Are they going to choose violence? Are they going to choose the other path? Right. And it's interesting because we see the outcome different for all of them. Uh, with the young kid, after he kills for the first time, he can have no more of it. With Morgan Freeman, we realize after so much time has passed, he's no longer capable of violence. Clint Eastwood, we realize he's only capable if he goes back to the bottle and gets drunk again. And then there's English Bob and Little Bill who are violent no matter what. That's their only way of dealing with people and with life, right? So we have all of those kind of mixing together that culminates in that climactic sequence of everyone getting their due. And I think that's the point is those who seek violence no matter what will ultimately be destroyed. Those who choose the other path are kind of choosing the path of redemption, right? But where well, does Clint Eastwood fall into that? Where does he fall into it? Well, I, I, he's a reluctant... Um, his character, Will, Money, is a reluctant uh, gunslinger, uh, yeah. I, I guess you would say. Um, <laughs> and um, and clearly, if he has to drink to do it, there's... He because knows, he's a changed man, He knows right? that... It, he's changed. He knows that killing is, is, is wrong, Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, when the movie delivers that the big climatic scene mm-hmm. and Will wins. Sure does. It doesn't feel like a win. That's the thing. I, I The thing I, I felt, again, watching and the, the, the thing I remembered most about having seen the movie years ago is how you feel walking away from this movie. Mm. And, and that's the thing that I think, um, the thing that surprises me so much about knowing what he thinks personally as a human, because this movie is uh, maybe more than any other Western I've ever seen anti-violence. And Definitely. because I think the message at the end is this is pointless. Pointless. Absolutely. And, and it's not kind heroic. Of go off of that it's too. very it's not, downbeat. It's absolutely yeah. not. And I think that's where we get our title from as well is, you know, it, violence is kind of always unforgiven. You know, yeah. it's always going to mess with you. Um, but what is interesting is we at the top of the movie we we see William Money as um, a widower and now a father of two young kids and we learn that his deceased wife is the one who sort of pulled him out of the life and world of violence and I wonder if this kind of crossed my mind too is are we kind of being told in this movie that kind of like once a proprietor of violence you will always fall back into that almost like addiction like violence as addiction you know and we we see Clint Eastwood William Money fighting that addiction the entire 
film. Like, I'm only doing it, or like, you know, only going back into it for good, right? Saving this prostitute who was wrongly beaten up um, is good, but is it best to fight violence with violence, right? Is that, is that, does that actually work? And I think you're right. In the end of this movie, we realize it doesn't work. You know, absolutely not. It just, it, it causes you to fall off the wagon again, if you will. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I think our, our message here walking away is this was all pointless. It was all for nothing. You know, it was all for nothing. And also, anger, I think, like with the prostitutes in the beginning, when they realize what happened, they are very angry. And their first instinct is, well, we need to kill the cowboys that did this. Right? And I think a lot, that's the thing, too, is being quick to jump to violence is also incorrect. You know, we see little Bill jump to violence almost immediately with anybody who comes into town, and he ultimately meets his end, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's saying, wow. it is saying a lot about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, okay, uh, and let me just go ahead and say, I, I, I am completely okay with this winning Best Picture. I was going to ask you, yeah, what are your thoughts on it winning picture? Of these five movies nominated... I think of the five movies nominated, it's it's the winner. I honestly think so, too. I think it's the most consistent one, for sure. I would almost say The Crying Games, because I do like that movie a lot. But I think Unforgiven does... Oh, I don't want to say holds up better, but it does. I, I think it does kind of hold up a little bit better. Now, you know, as I mentioned, I love A League of Their Own. If that had been the conversation, if Malcolm Malcolm X had been in the conversation, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if... If the um, bodyguard had been in the conversation. The bodyguard. And I... <laughs> um, I also really like uh, uh, Chaplin. Um, mm, another good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An yeah, early yeah. Um, Robert Downey Jr. performance yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Great performance. Very, very early. Um you know, so there's a few other movies that had they been in the conversation, it might have, it might change my opinion. But of yeah. these five movies, um, I like it. I like what, and I like what it says. I just, I just find the disconnect between its director and star and its message to be, to be super interesting. It's super uh, interesting. But at the time, he was married to Frances Fisher, and she is a liberal hero. So I don't know. Maybe it was a. Uh, <laughs> Maybe he was influenced by her. <laughs> For sure. And, I, and, you know, I think what's interesting, too, about this movie is it, it is such an anti-violence, anti-killing film, yet there is so much violence. This is a brutal movie. It's incredibly brutal. They do not shy away from the beating up, the, the whipping, the shooting. Like, you see everything. And, I, you know, when he's beating up English Bob, for me, that was like, Holy shit. It's like I felt every punch, every kick, every blow. It was rough. Incredibly rough. Um, so again, I think, but that's even to further the point, right? Like we need, you need to see the realistic violence to actually appreciate how horrible it is, you know? Yeah, this is <laughs> uplifting. Um, <laughs> it is a great, right. what a it's great a downer day. movie. It is a downer movie. What a it's great... It's a downer movie, but it is this shot is why, This is why we should just be talking about sisters reuniting at the end of a movie. <laughs> after years of, of tension because of their respective baseball teams. I'm just saying... I'm just saying. Uh, um, what do you think of Clint Eastwood's Best Actor nomination? 
I mean, it, it was, it's one of those things. I, I, he's, he's the same as he is in most movies and that's fine. I think he gets swept in with the, um, the cloud of the movie. For sure. I, for me personally, I don't think this is a nomination for him. I don't think his character actually comes to life and really does anything until he finally starts drinking again. For me, the movie starts for Clint Eastwood in those last 15, 20 minutes. That is when I'm like, oh, here he is. He's awake. Here we go. Now we're getting to the meat and potatoes, you know? And I also kind of think, category fraud, I think Gene Hackman is almost our true lead in this movie. (laughs) He is... In, I mean, he's in. If not he's just this. as much or more than Clint Eastwood is. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it's an idea of hero versus villain as far mm-hmm. as lead versus supporting. And the villain's you know, always supporting. Him. But it's really, it's. I think it's a co-lead, personally. I think yeah. it is, too. Do you like him winning for this movie? Gene Hackman, that is? I am always happy with Gene Hackman winning Oscars. <laughs> he is good. He's good in this movie. And he, I will say, like, he is a villain, but you do see his, like, humanity come aside. And I think it's really interesting that they have him sort of backdrop this whole movie of trying to build a house, trying to build his own house, being his own carpenter, and being terrible at it. You know? Yeah. I think there's something to be said about that. There's, there's a little bit of character work in there where he is so oblivious to how terrible he is at other tasks that it's mm-hmm. almost like his anger and his... Um, violence comes out from being inadequate in other areas of his life, you know? Well, this almost makes up for him not winning for the conversation. <laughs> almost. 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 We do remember who won that year, and we will never forget. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Uh, he's a very nice man. It's it's a sentimental. I'm not. I can't be angry with him because of who it is. But still, at the same time, it's like, oh boy, it is just like so that. many good performances. At least he didn't majorly screw someone out of an Oscar. Period. Very true. Like, very true. We did. Um, we did eventually get. Oh, and it's so interesting. I had not thought about this hmm. um, until this very second. I had not thought about this connection between uh, the years 1974 and 1992, but, Sam, think about it. Yes? Two, um, uh, we have, who were two of our best actor nominees in uh, 1974? Well, we have, oh, in 1974. Well, we have Pacino... Yes. For Godfather. Yes. We have Nicholson, right, in Chinatown. Yeah, um, oh, wait, I just realized he's not nominated for the conversation. In oh, yeah, head, Gene Hackman. I was going to say, yeah, he was snubbed for that. He was Completely snubbed. snubbed. I'm still, I, I, now I'm angry all over again. Ah! Um, <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like 1992 is just trying to make up for the sins of 1974 by giving Al Pacino an Oscar, finally. And giving Gene Hackman another Oscar. Yes. And that was kind of what I wanted to get into a little bit here with our five Best Picture nominees. I would throw out Scent of a Woman, and I would throw out Howard's End. Two movies that I think are just so boring. Boring well, and a... Oscar Beatty and ugh. Cannot well, you know, stand that. You know that's what this could do. if we Because Emma Thompson's going to win an Oscar for her screenplay. 
Okay. Right. Later. So she's right. going to get an Oscar. Mm-hmm. So if we take away her acting Oscar here mm-hmm. and give it to Michelle Pfeiffer, Ooh. then we write the wrong of Michelle Pfeiffer not having an Oscar. There you go. I'm fine with that. And Plus, I, this was a well, great yeah. year for her beyond this movie, Love Field, which she's nominated for. She also played Catwoman in 1992. So she had a good year. Big year. You know? Big year for the her. Definitive, the definitive Catwoman. Oh, uh, well, actually, the, all the Catwomen are great. Actually, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Julie Dumar. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I also think you're in the best actor race. This is where we could have given Denzel his leading Oscar. I mean, God. So in 2001, he didn't have to win for Training Day. All and, these makeup Oscars, yeah. Yeah, and we can give that to... Oh, Robert God. Young. I mean, what a year. What a friggin' year. Probably Tom Wilkinson. <laughs> he can have as many Oscars as he wants. Oh, you're in 2001. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went that far. Um, sorry, sorry. Yes, if Denzel, Denzel probably should have won here. And this is, Al Pacino's getting a makeup Oscar because Al, Al Pacino should have won, won decades ago. Well, in 75 for Dog Day. Let's be real. Dog Day would have been a great time mm-hmm. to give it to him. Yes, it would have taken away one of our three... Um, three uh grand slams true but um but i mean i can live with that so phenomenal and jack nicholson has other oscars exactly exactly okay so your your top movie of the year is clearly a league of their own own. (laughs) (laughs) um i'm trying to think of my top movie i'm really curious God, I don't know. Is it death? It's death becomes her, isn't it? I mean, it's probably death becomes her. (laughs) 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 Ah! Oh man, I don't know. I really, to be honest with you, I don't really have terribly strong feelings about any of these movies. I like them all fine. Yeah, but I don't really have strong feelings. I guess I guess I'm very satisfied with Unforgiven winning. I think I am. I really think I am. So uh, I guess we just have to do that thing where we we talk about next week. Let's talk about next week. We are getting into 1993 and the year of Steven Spielberg. We finally have Spielberg winning his first pair of Oscars for director and picture. We're going to talk about in the making. We have a sad one. We are going to talk about Schindler's List next week. I've seen this. I'm pretty sure everyone probably had to see this movie in school at some point. I did not have to see it in school, and Sam, I have a confession. This is the first time I will ever watch Schindler's List. Oh boy. Oh boy. It's the only movie in the AFI's top 10 mm-hmm. of their top 100 that I haven't seen. Oh boy. This <laughs> and is, I postponed well. it for so long because I know I know how it's going to affect me when I watch it, because I, I, oh, yeah. I have a feeling, I, I, I know it's going to be a great movie, and I know that it's an important movie. And I, I just know it's gonna, it, it it's in, it's gonna, it'll take out the rest of that day, you know. So definitely, um, it is a bummer. It's a downer. It is a downer, downer yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that'll be interesting then. Oh my gosh, your first time, your first time. That'll be very interesting. 1993 is a very good year for movies, so I'm very excited to talk about all of these uh, with you next week. So join yes. us. We'll talk join about us wherever list. you may be. What's Whether that? you're in Philadelphia or wherever you are uh, next year. there we go. <laughs> Join <laughs> us then. We'll talk about Schindler's List. Mm-hmm.